A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics, like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Dumpty 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 dum, dumpty dumpty dum, dumpty 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 dum, dumpty diddly dum, dumpty diddly dumpty diddly dumpty diddly dum, dumpty 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 dum, dumpty diddly dum. So this week's Dumpty Dum is from Joanne Smith, and the podcast is sponsored by Lonnie J. Bihar. This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality darky drama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I am the ex-sugar babe who is Royfield Brown and today I am joined with the helpful big sister who is Jacqueline Berto in Sanguen in Brittany, France. And on this episode we have an embarrassment of colorinners. We hear from Sarah from Smethwick who is Missing Debbie. Claire from Clapham, who celebrates the return of the real Kate. Richard Prop, who feels sorry for Rory. Darcy in Northern California, who found this week compelling. Pip from Thornton Heath, who does some maths. Jen, our Ambridge Pony Club, who was intrigued by Ian and Adam with Xander. Richard in London, who wants to talk economics. Natalie from Torquay, who is impressed with the clever script writing this week. Mr. Witherspoon, who is pleased that Ian's back. And Marie from Winchester, who has a question about pizza toppings. And of course, we're going to have Tweet of the Week from our Purple Pumpkin and the social media roundup. It's from our Stephen Bowden. Don't forget to search for Dumpty Dum on YouTube. And if you do that, you'll find lots of Dumpty Dum on YouTube. Now, we have some breaking news, Madame Berto. Yeah, you've really surprised me there. 
Oh my god, that shocked look on my face. <laughs> Tickets for our dum de dum archers academics mashup weekend will go on sale on Tuesday. Yay! Now, good people, you get Friday entertainment, you get Saturday entertainment, you even get a little bit of entertainment on Sunday, which is going to be mass listen along. Guess how much all that's going to cost you? Take a wild guess. Ooh, around about 90 quid. Oh, I don't know, 250, 300 quid? No, madam, no, madam. It's going to cost 90 quid all in, and that even gets you a meal at the Cozy Club on Saturday night. Now, what we're not doing, good people, is we're not throwing in the hotel with this, the hotel option, which is what we have done a couple of times before. So you're going to have to find your own accommodation for Friday night and for Saturday night if you want to stay over. For those of you who aren't a fae with Birmingham, things will be happening in and around the Symphony Hall, which is just on Broad Street so you need to get yourself a hotel, something like the Novotel or the Hotel Ibis, something like that, which is very close, if not slap bang on Broad Street. So tickets for Friday evening, all day Saturday with the various different events and live recording of Dum De Dum. And then the mass listen along is only 60 English pounds. We've had inflation rip, ripping through our economy for the last 18 months. And this is still a blooming good deal. And then for an extra 30 quid, you can opt to have a meal at the Cozy Club on Saturday night. And we have space for 100 people to have dinner all together with us then. So you're saying, how do I book this? There will be a link on dumdydum.com. There will be links on the Facebook page. No doubt we'll put out some links on Twitter. Also, we'll send out a newsletter and all the links will be on there. This will go live on Tuesday the 14th. Sonny Ormond, who's obviously Lillian Bellamy, is going to be with us. And we're trying to book a few more Archers actors and some of the great and the good of the Archers to be with us. 90 quid gets you everything. 60 quid gets you into everything apart from the meal. Bloody barking. It is barking. So let's get on with the podcast for tonight. We should be welcoming another nine new members to our Facebook group. But first, before all that, let's look at the week in Ambridge from our Suey Queen or Tart. Hello, lovely people. It's Suey Queen or Tart on the Twitches here. And another week in Ambridge. A bit slower this week, but we have had two fantastic weeks before this. Oh, how much do I want to inflict physical harm to Kate this week? I am not allowed to say that I really want to slap her on Facebook or I get put in Facebook jail, so I'm going to say it here. Not that I actually would, but really, she has been beyond the pale this week. After everything she did that ended up with Jenny Darling's kitchen being sold with the rest of the house, of course, she is now self-determining as a farmer and throwing away spiritual home. She has found her calling. Oh, goody. It involves complaining about plastic tree guards and being at one with the earth. The conscience of the farm making her uniquely qualified to tell Stella how to do her job. Stella was unsurprisingly unimpressed and shopped her to Adam. He was struggling with what to tell Xander about Jenny Darling's death. Adam told Kate to bug out and run her own business, which she says she can sell, apparently. There was much flappy hand ineffectual slapping by the siblings, and Alice got stuck with having to talk to Kate, one of many such conversations this week. Most of them were with Rory, who got replaced by Julianne at an event, with a different disposable toy boy. 
He is now sleeping on the couch at the nest, staying with Alice, who seems set to replace some of what Jenny Darling did, looking after the family. She was appalled by his arrangement with Julianne and that it included actual sex. I think we were all wondering why the arrangement went beyond actual sex, as otherwise Rory has been a whiny brat, frankly. Who would want him talking to prospective clients or work colleagues? Feckless Feddy tried to manage the volunteers, but he is the pointless prince. How many other people didn't hear that second word as prince? And went back to whining to Mumsy Lizzie, who told him to sort it out. Justin, quelle surprise, did you see what I did there, Jacqueline? has dropped the shop like a stone when it didn't suit whatever his ulterior motive was. Susan allowed Joy to do a training shift to see if she would suit as a volunteer, but when David asked Joy for sartorial advice on a new suit for Jenny Darling's funeral, Susan, I know you'll be astonished by this, got hold of the wrong end of the stick and tore Joy off a strip and sent her to deal with the tinned peaches. David stood up to Susan and told her off a bit, not enough for how mean she was to Joy, in my humble opinion. Ian, who is remarkably still alive after many weeks of silent pizza making, is there when Adam tells Zander and suggests floating rice paper bowls, suggests floating rice paper boats down the Am for Jenny. Zander and Martha drew pictures for the boats. Elizabeth and David had dinner in the orangery and mentioned how much they are missing Shula. Mm. He doesn't have to talk to Vince again. How splendid. Julianne at first was pleased that Rory went to an event he agreed to do for a sizable fee and bonus, but then he blew it by saying he loved her. There was another slappy hands fight, and now Rory was really sacked with a final payment to his account. You'd better get flat hunting then, lad. Alice rescued him and sent him off for a hack on Friday morning. Adam nearly talked about how he is feeling and admitted he's not cried yet, but stopped himself. Kate is ghosting him, which seems like a real win for me. Stella has sent her off to survey the hedgerows and she's therefore out of the way. Paul confessed that he and Alistair wear armoured gloves to deal with Hilda Ogden. The London situation is all sorted and Rory and he went clubbing. Then Paul had to turn down his somewhat clumsy advances. Adam finally had a very good crying jag. Jenny really was one in a million. Oh, we should be celebrating her life. Till then, next week, my lovelies, I hope it's a good one. Me too, Suey. But you know what? That was most definitely a good one in terms of the week in Ambridge. Thank you for that, Suey. Ah, Queen Urtat. Right, Madame Berto, I'm watching your blather this week, right? Because, not because I think that we don't need to hear more about the political goings-on in Sanguine or about what Loic has for dinner, right? It's because we've got loads of calls. Loads of calls. Hello, Ambridge3962. First off, top of the shop, it's my other podcasting wife. I'm a bit polygamous, don't you know? It's Claire Asprey from Map Corner. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. And I just wanted to really celebrate the true Kateness of Kate this week. When Jenny first died, she showed immediate signs of being comparatively sensible and reliable and holding the family together and kind of, you know, coming into her own as a slight sort of rock of the group. Um, and so I was delighted to see this week that she's back to her complete, you know, batshit madness. 
and all over the place. And goodness knows, I'm sure she'd be grateful for Jacob's sensible counsel if she takes any notice of it, which I doubt. Um, because she's Kate, and we all love the fact that Kate is, you know, a little bit off the wall. Um, I think she would drive me up the wall. I think Stella has been admirable in her patience with it. And um, also a quick note to Stella, you are incredibly amazing and competent and sensible. Uh, and you're helping to manage to farm through a difficult time with the family. And just like all the fuss over this piece of equipment that you were or were not going to buy, seed drill or something, like she could really do with convening an emergency meeting of the board or partnership or whatever it is and get some real clarification of what she does and does not have authority to do. Um, I just thought she'd have a bit more sense to do that and make sure she's got clear backup because otherwise they'll all fall out again and decide who told Stella what. Uh, and Stella is more likely to be the you know, um, victim of that than any of the auditors. So, um, yeah, I think Stella's doing a great job, but she could probably do with being a bit more tactical about how she's managing the family. Anywho, I hope Rory gets his act together too. I think Alice is doing surprisingly well at being helpful. Uh, but yay, Kate is back to herself. So, uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Speak to you soon. I don't know if I'm quite happy with Kate being back to her old self. I hope this is just a little bit of a blip. Don't get me wrong. Love Kate. Love me some Kate. Great comic foil. And she's just a wonderful, complex character. But I hope for the sake of the future plot developments that what she's going through, which is obviously trying to grieve and then honour her mother's memory. Mm. And she realises what her mother, what she actually truly meant to her mother. That isn't just that we get Kate, but it now within home farm being a wrecking ball. Yeah. I was quite surprised by Kate's sensitivity in the first few days following her mum's death because she's a Mrs. Me Me. She's always, it's always so convenient with Kate when she remembers her children, <laughs> which children, where. <laughs> it always amuses me. But I loved the scene this week with Stella when she was, I loved all the scenes with her being completely feckless, I would say. Mm. When she was with Jacob and when she was talking with Stella, when Stella sent her off to some of the hedgerows. So I miss Kate when she's not in it. When she, as you say, she's the perfect foil, but. Yeah, whether she could be sensible Kate some other time and then crazy Kate the rest, whether it works. Mm. How does Je Jacob put up with her? You know what? This is something which we have opined on way back when because they don't on paper make any sense, do they? He's no, ultra rational to the yeah. point of being on the spectrum. And she's all about lived experience and the way that she feels over rational facts. Yeah, exactly. Right. So Heart on the, a sleeve. <laughs> if you're being holistic about it, you'll say the yin and yang and the complete each other's whole, but on a practical level. But you did see, though, that Kate felt protective over Jacob's flat when he wasn't there. Yeah. And the way it was being looked after or not by his brother. We don't expect too much from Kate. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? Mm. Although I have been irritated by the end of the week by her because of this, I'm going to sell, I'm going to sell. And I keep thinking about poor Jenny would be absolutely cringing if she was there because it was because of Kate's insistence that she wasn't going to sell and move her business. You know, you know, she's never taken any level of ownership of the fact that the demise of the House of Aldridge yeah. is in large part down to her. Yes, it was Brian doing what he did in the AM and all, and it coming back 30-odd yeah. years to, to bite him in the bum, but she didn't help matters. 
at all. Not at all. It was her that put this real spanner in the works. Mm. Hey ho. But I think one of our callers who's a businessman has questions about that, doesn't he? He does. I think you'd be referring to Richard. I would. Why does Stella call Adam to complain about Kate pulling rank? Does Kate have rank? She's one of the owners, perhaps, but isn't in a position of authority over Stella in these circumstances. Question number one. Question number two, does Kate believe that spiritual home is worth anything? Doesn't spiritual home have land rented at low price off home farm? And if I'm right about that, any potential acquirer will be very interested in a long-term rental agreement maintaining that low price, which means that Kate needs the family to support that deal. And I very much doubt that Spiritual Home would make a profit if it were paying Kate any kind of salary. So any kind of manager would want to be, I'm not sure what they'd want to be, they'd be out of their mind to take that on. Rory and Alice. Alice now knows Rory's, quote, guilty secret, apart from Rory doesn't seem to be guilty other than broken-hearted. He's apparently insolvent, mentioned having spent all Brian's money and not having any left, so he needs to figure out his finances. But is he going to come clean to the whole village about the fact that he was earning money in that way? Alice ought to be telling him, ought, bad word, ought. Alice has the option of telling Rory that while she disapproved to start with, the damage he's doing or did by taking that life choice was nothing like the damage she did to herself, other people, and particularly him, in the process of becoming an alcoholic. So an apology would be in order. I think that Chelsea has a fighting chance of setting up up on her own as a hairdresser and ought to be getting mentoring from Lillian, Linda, etc. in how to do that. She's certainly giving Freddie some decent career advice. And I'm still pondering about the economics of the village shop. Not pondering, baffled is a better word. Hi, it's Richard, by the way, calling in from London. He brought up a whole load of points. Interesting points as well. Now, you famously, infamously, routinely take notes, don't you, with listener calls? So why don't you go through your copious notes and if you lead... Okay, Dick, so the first question, why did Stella call Adam about Kate? As far as I can see, she was at the end of a tether, so she called the only person that she's had any interaction with about the farm, which was Adam. Yeah, and I suppose you slightly go down the food chain because Adam is Kate's sibling because this is a family crises moment so instead of going speaking to somebody at Damara you spoke to Adam that made sense to me yeah makes sense to me as well Richard the next question was does Kate believe that spiritual home has any real value well she obviously does if she thinks she's going to sell it but there is that question of the land it's built on. Does she even pay rent to Home Farm? I've got a question about that. And the real value would be her skills would be the value, the yoga, mentoring, meditation skills that she brings. Not just that, but because the business has been running for a little bit of a time now, so it will have Mm. a reputation. Yeah. It will have a reputation. There's going to be value in the small but significant longevity of the business. How many forward bookings can they actually reasonably get? How many return bookings? So it's not just on Kate, though that's a very significant part of it. But the long and short of it is, no, 
she doesn't realize the value of the business because, you know, oh, yeah, just whatever. Remember, she said whatever to the business last week. Yeah, she doesn't have a value, let alone, as I think Richard also says, which is the deal for it to have relatively cheap rent on home farm property. That's worth something as well. So there are different ways. There's a few ways of actually... And I guess there's uh, the physical stuff of the yurts because the they they will have some value. So I'll be interested to see how it comes out. Which, knowing Kate, she'll have changed her mind by next week. The next question was about the relationship with Rory and Alice and his confiding in Alice and the damage that she's done. Now, one of the things that Richard said was, is Rory going to come clean to the village about how he's been living for the last year or so? I don't see what it's got to do with the village. Come clean to the family and to Brian is one thing. Mm. But the village, keep their noses out. To be honest with you, I don't even know whether... The whole family needs to know. They've got bigger things to deal with. They have. Now. And in fact, I think Richard's real point, for me, Richard's real point was about Alice and the damage that she did to herself, the family, her baby, her the family's relationships with each of them, and Rory himself during her live alcoholic phase, rather than when she's been a recovering alcoholic, is far mm. more damaging than anything that he potentially has done to the wider family. I'm not talking about himself because I think he's done, we're going to another mental health problem. Chelsea and uh, setting up as a hairdresser on her own, a beautician, mentoring from Linda and uh, Lillian. Yeah, maybe they do need to, especially Lillian's been in business. She's been in the business and she maybe does need, Chelsea does need somebody maybe to point her in the right direction about where she's going after she's finished, but let her finish the school first. Agreed. The last question he said, Richard, was that he didn't understand the economics of the village shop. Now, we had a conversation about this a few weeks ago, not understanding the economics of it. And I tried to research well, how it was all set up. And it was set up as a shared... Good heavens. I know. Good heavens. My, my did you crap do memory. No. I did a bit of research and on the quiet, and I'm still not much wiser, apart from the fact that it was, it was Jim that set it up as, helped set it up as a community shop, the volunteers and things. But I think other more wiser and better remembering people than me will be able to put us right on it. So, But the shop... Physically still owned by Hazel, though, isn't it? I think the shop is. Yeah, the flat and the shop are owned by her. Yeah, so they must pay rent. So they must have to make money to cover their overheads. And everybody says it's an overpriced village shop anyway, because village shops always are. But there's only one salaried person, and that's Susan. Susan. And she's Mm -hmm. partly played by the post office. So anyway, if I was a resident of Ambridge, I'd be all up in the village shop's business. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but you wouldn't be able to find anything now since Justin's moved it all around, then buggered off. No, you're so wrong. I would actually notice they've got much more stock than they thought they had before because he's actually putting things on prominently in people's eye lines. Justin's the man. He knows how to market goods. He (sighs) knows about footfall in shops. It is that time. When I say, right, the best and the easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dum dum Don't forget the T in the middle. And you'll also find a link to this wonderful application in the show notes. Or you could send us a voice note via WhatsApp on 0044-7957-167-7. 
696. And mm-hmm. for this lovely podcast, which we record generally on a Sunday evening, we need your calls in by 6 p.m. on a Sunday UK time. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes and bear in mind that you need to be at least 18 to take part. Now, we need your help. This is like Lord Kitcher and that poster where he's pointing saying Britain needs you. There are a few things that you can do for us folks. First off, if you haven't done so already, hit the subscribe button on whatever podcatcher that you're listening to this on. And if it was on Apple iTunes, that would be even the better. All right, so that's number one. Number two, give us a five-star review. It'd be hugely appreciated. And it's really important. It's not just vanity. It means that we go up those iTunes charts. So if you're on Apple iTunes, give us a five-star review, please. Thank you. And the third thing is that you can consider becoming a patron. Patron is a way of tipping creators, and there are different levels of different rewards. So if you just go to patreon.com, search for Dumpty Dum, we'll be tickled pink to have your support. You can also go to dumptydum.com and hit the donate button. And a few people have done that. Or you can, if you're even, not even smarter, but if you're also similarly down with a little bit of PayPal, what you can do is go on to paypal.com and either give us a donation and or set up a recurring payment, which is exactly what one Lonnie J. Bahar has done this week. Jolly good. So let's go back to our calls. And now let's go to Sarah from Smethwick. Hello, it's Sarah from Smethwick here. So having moved on from competitive grieving and guilt, various members of the Aldridge family are cracking up, suitably, dysfunctionally, disintegrating. Kate appears to be having a midlife crisis without a motorbike because that would be environmentally unfriendly. Meanwhile, Rory and Julianne, I've never really understood why Julianne needs Rory as an escort while she's at various networking events. Anytime I've been to anything remotely similar, I'd have found someone else knocking around, getting on my feet. Also, for someone we've been led to believe a successful business person, I'm puzzled as to how she's got to where she is if she requires quote-unquote Dutch courage before meetings and doesn't like entering these places alone. And even more puzzling, I'm guessing, will be Bill. Because earlier in the week, he's had Julianne Rockup, accompanied by Alex, Alexi, whatever his name is, then later with Rory, who seems to be following Alice into the being a mean drunk. And day drinking at that, tut, tut, tut. Uh, they really need Debbie to come back and knock their heads together. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing some of you soon in Birmingham. But for now, tra a bit. All the best. Very good. Thank you for that call, Sarah. So, Rory and Julianne. Now, I've never understood this story, as I've said a dozen times in the past. And also the drinking thing. It's just all, it's all gone to pieces. I get it. She's busy. But she's got physical needs and she pays for it. That Understand that. Uh, yeah, I can understand, understand that. that. It's this business understand side that. of it. I even get the escorting. But as we've said a thousand times over, you in, in that level of business, you're going to take somebody who is, in inverted commas, your equal. Yeah. Somebody who's got your level of life experience. Yeah. Who can represent you without embarrassing you, without people pointing the finger and sniggering. Sniggering, exactly. It's the sniggering behind the back. I don't understand it. Don't get it. It's just nonsense. And I think it's just destroyed old Rory in his sadness, in his not knowing where he fits in. Yeah. 
So we'll see. Another mummy figure well, bites the dust. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In it. In it, though. In it, though. All right. Anyway, let's move on from Sarah from Smethic, who said she's going to be with us yeah. at the end of April. And now, I don't know if the next person's going to be with us in April, but, he's most, but this person is most definitely called Richard B. Hello, everybody. Richard Beveridge here. Biffo Prop on the Twitters. I do hope you're all well. Salut bonsoir, Madame Berthaud. Good evening, Royfield. Hope you're all still basking in Ireland's magnificent win over France in Dublin. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to report a wholly new <laughs> sensation this week. The thought of that of feeling sorry for Rory. How quickly his carapace of certainty and his assuredness shattered as things were taken away from him and Juli- Julianne was revealed to to see him only as a transaction on a transactional basis providing a service illustrated very well by Julianne's going from gushing to threats of her solicitor in a matter of moments interesting that alice is the catalyst for the scales falling away from rory's eyes given the own her own secret life that she led for some time before she sought treatment irrespective another very good story arc that's run for a number of months and a very careful and clever inversion of the traditional Cinderella story by the scriptwriters, where instead of a rich prince and a poor girl, we have a very well-off lady and user of young men. Very interesting skew. I hope Justin Elliott and Bill are acquainted, and I hope Rory may get his own back at some point, courtesy of characters in Ambridge. Fond love to all of you, especially Philippa's dad. And given that it is the week of the Feast of St. Valentine on Tuesday and his resting place is in Dublin, I thought I would sign off with 
roses are red, champagne is bubbly. Tinkety tonk, I'm watching the rugby. <laughs> I bet he's as pleased as punch this evening, old Biffo prop, with England mm. Italy results. That was a good one for England, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, silence. No, no, I did, yeah, no, I don't know any rugby results at all. I just slightly fallen out of love with the rugby union, just very slightly. Oh, no. Anyway, this podcast is not mm. about me. But let's talk about you just very quickly before before we come back on to Biffo Props. Me? Cool. Let's talk about you. What are you and Loic doing on Valentine's Day? Don't know. Other than special cuddles. Special cuddles, of course. That's every day, isn't it? We'll probably have a normal evening meal, watch a bit of telly. Mm-hmm. We watch the news, then go to bed and read, actually. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound very special. It's not the way of honouring St. Valentine, is it? Yeah, but St. Valentine's all a load of commercial crap anyway. (sighs) No, but you can set up your own little traditions. We have our own little traditions, thank you, Roy Brown. Which are? I don't need to tell the world, the whole world, our 10,000 that download this. Don't need to know about the goings on. By no measure at all is that the whole world. Last time I checked, there's about 7 billion people on planet Earth. It's the Archer's world. It's the Archer's world. Oh, God, you've been so coy. It's (sighs) rather unlike you. All right, then. If you're not going to tell us, what's your little special nickname for him? Lolo. Aww. (laughs) Loix Lulu. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Thank you for sharing. Thank you you for sharing. I'm all red and hot and embarrassed now. Saying that this is an inverted Cinderella story, I thought was rather clever. Very rather clever. clever. Yeah, Very really clever brilliant. Indeed. I know he should be sat in my seat, I tell you, with that level of analysis. Now, let's break this down. Where does the transaction start and end and exploit exploitation start in terms of Rory and Julianne? I think it was transactional to begin with because it all went through the agency with a contract. Mm. And uh, and then Julianne seemed to enjoy having his company. And obviously then they started sleeping together. So that's another level of, apart from the intimacy, another level of the employment. I don't know. But she, she it's when it affects his feelings and her always being demanding. His phone has to be turned off. She was phoning him a lot. She was monopolizing him and cutting into his time when he could be with people his own age. So that's mm. when the, I think the exploitation started, when she started to monopolize his time. Mm. I take all of that and she was paying for his company and proximity okay and when he declared feelings for her that's when it was exploitative and i would say that explicitly only really happened this week it was very obvious that he had feelings for her but wasn't it this week that he came out and absolutely said it so strictly speaking i'm gonna (sighs) I say this advisably. As soon as he said that he had that he was in love with her or had thing, I can't remember exactly the words. She then called it off and said, "You're being ridiculous." Yeah. So I don't think it was an exploitative relationship. Is my case in point? I just think she was monopolizing him, and that's that is a I kind agree. of preying on his. I, I don't know. That's when I felt that it was too I, much. Listen, I, it wasn't healthy. Don't no. get me wrong. And we knew, because we had Rory's 
I view on the relationship, yeah. the way it was written. We've never really seen it explicitly from her point of view. No. We've been able to glean that she sees it purely transactionally. When she wants his company, she wants it. And she wants it okay. now. And she wants it completely. Exactly. She wants it completely. And her enjoying his company is the fact that he's a good looking young man. He's He has a certain level of intelligence. So she can put him in these social situations to represent her when her back is turned and she's having a cocktail with somebody else. And she's enjoyed having sex with him. Okay. And she pays him sufficiently well that he's got a great, I always call it an apartment. It's a flat. It's, yeah, it's a flat. flat. It's I England. Mean, I, it's that's flat. right. I don't quite get this. I've never quite. <laughs> this week it's actually became more and more irritating, this apartment business. Nobody lives in an apartment, do they? But it's so funny, though, that in Britain, if you have a posh flat, you'll call it an apartment. In America, if you have a posh apartment, you'll call it a flat. Really? <laughs> in some bits of New York and whatever, if it's really posh, you'll say, oh, I've got a flat. But anyway. But anyway, I just, I seriously do think, though, that when you really boil it down, and she's a villain, she's not a nice person, she's never been painted at all in a sympathetic light for us, she's never talked about her family, her friends, any benevolence that she's, nothing at all. She just comes in and she's gone, thanks, I need to pay you for this, it's business. So with that in mind, the point where Rory goes, but I love you, I've got feelings, she basically went, nah. It wasn't an exploitative relationship. Was it healthy? No. Is she a nice person? No. It wasn't exploitative. And I actually think this is the genius bit of this writing. Because, yes, if you switch it around, and not quite in the way that Richard B is saying, and this was a young woman of 19, 20 with a much older man, we'd all be totally reviled. We'd go, ugh. So our cultural prejudice is so much a heavy part of this. And the cultural disdain, dis- dislike is probably a better word, dislike that we have about people paying for sex, right? It feels icky. Many people do it. But we do see it as, on the one hand, something which you shouldn't actually pay for. But if you're going to do that, be healthy, be clean. The exploitation never happened and would only ever happened if she had allowed Roy to say, I love you, and she can, would then have continued with the relationship, and she didn't. She's a villain, but even she had ethics. Good point, Mr. Brown. I shall go away and mull mm. that one over. I'll come back with my right. rep- response next Feel week. quite happy with myself there. Right, right, then. Good. <laughs> I think uh, right. one of our other caller in has uh, got her down as a villain as well, hasn't he? Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Royfield, Jacqueline, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Royfield got his wish, and the Rory Julianne storyline was wrapped up by Friday. Julianne was confined to the dustbin of Archer's villains, which most recently included Rob, Matt, and Philip. Will any of one of them return like Jason or Freddy Krueger? That will depend on the whims of the scriptwriters. Now, I know more than a few of you, maybe even Royfield and Jacqueline, are objecting to me including Matt on the list of Archer's baddies. But in my humble opinion, he was a swindler, a con artist, plain and simple, and I shall say no more about it. Back to Rory. 
I was surprised how quickly he made up with Alice after his long expressed animosity toward her. He even casually referred to her as sis at one point, which I found quite jarring. But underneath his anger, there was great hurt and sadness at the things Alice had said in a drunken state, as well as his unexpressed mourning for Jennifer. And Alice finally truly demonstrated to him that she loved him when she appeared at the function and gave it to Julianne. One other thing this week regarding Rory. I'm a bit surprised he hasn't reached out to Adam at all. Remember, Rory had stayed with Adam and Ian for a while, and they seemed to have bonded, if I remember correctly. But then again, Adam's limited people skills were not on the best of displays this week. I could not believe he just marched over to Kate and spilled the beans regarding what Stella had confided to him, and he expressed cluelessness over Rory's hurt. Anyway, thank God for the long-awaited return of Ian from his pizza van travels in the countryside. Ian does humanize Adam and helps to modify his stentorian voice. Underneath, we saw that Adam was also hurting. A word to the men of Ambridge, get in touch with your feelings. Talk to you soon. I want to know, do you think that Matt is a true villain? Let's just compare and contrast this with Julianne. And very obviously, Julianne was not at all in anywhere near as long as the character of Matt Crawford. But Matt could be charming. Matt had genuine feelings for Lillian. And because he was so charming and because that relationship felt so real, pussycat, tiger, right, that we emotionally distance ourselves away from his habitual lying and fraud and cutting the corners business-wise. Because mm-hmm. we're going, oh, but it's Matt, though, isn't it? Yeah, the cuddly villain. But, yeah, but Witherspoon's completely co- correct, and I agree yeah. with him, yeah. Matt, Philip, and Rob are definitely villains of the past, maybe mm. of the future as well. I also add Hazel Woolley as a bit of a villain. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I tell you, the reason why we also do forgive Matt is because we always thought redemption was just around the corner. Yeah. He was going always about to do the right thing, but yeah. by Lillian or by whoever he's just done over. Yeah. That's the, we go, oh, yeah, but maybe he's not going to be so bad this time. And he always let us down, but with a smile and a twinkle in his eye. Yeah. But it's a total wrong, total wrong. Indeed. Yeah, I'm very com- conflicted about the Rory and Alice forgiveness but she he phoned her when he was in a state why did he phone her because in fact they were in high dudgeon with each other after her out, outburst he knows even though he didn't explicitly say it or demonstrate it that alice came down to london because she loves him yeah she has he demonstrated that yeah she's completely demonstrated it and because alice has seen his world, which is hidden from his family, there's a certain level of trust implicit between him and his older sister. She's earned that, she, and she's tried repeatedly, and he does know this, to get him to open up and also to try to demonstrate that Jennifer did love him in equal measure as the rest of the siblings. Yeah. As uncomplicated as his entry into the family has been, Jennifer loved him, and even though he rejected Alice saying this, he actually knew it to be true. Hence, a lot of his anger and guilt, because he knew that Jennifer loved him. He wasn't the son 
back to Jennifer that he should have been. So a lot of this is I know what you're trying to do, but I feel crap about myself in the way that I treated Jennifer just before she died. And he said she texted him, didn't she? She was texting him and whatever, and he wasn't responding. But also Alice may also be having those kind of feelings as well. So whilst they're not verbal, putting it into words, because she knows how much Jenny has been hurt by her alcoholism and the problems that the scandal of that and how much that hurt Brian. So Alice also will be having feelings of guilt about what she did to Jennifer in the last years of her life. Unlike Kate, who obviously did something big as well and isn't showing any remorse whatsoever. We said this last week, grief affects people in different ways. In fact, that was a lovely part, wasn't it? When Was it with... Oh, it was Adam and Ian. Lovely conversation. And I agree with Witherspoon that Ian does make Adam seem more human. When Ian said, your mum would be the first person in the world to say to you, there is no set way of grieving. Everybody Mm. does it differently. Yeah. Yeah. And then death, for some of us, just makes us reevaluate our whole existence because it is the passing of a generation, a loved one, your child, your parent. And if anything is going to make you realize that your time on this earth is finite, it's death. Yeah. It doesn't matter how that person passed. They could have passed in the most beautiful of ways, but then, you, but it makes you realize, you know what? I've only got a certain amount of time on this earth. What am I doing? Maybe I need to reappraise my relationships with people around me or just my position on this earth. I need to do more and whatever, or I need to take time for me. These are just time-honoured ways that we cope with loss. Anyway. Indeed. Anyway. Right, Darcy, you're next. Hi, this is Darcy, Northern California. I've got to tell you, this last week on The Archers has been really compelling, and I was so engaged with it that yesterday, Saturday, it came around time for what I thought was The Archers, forgetting it was Saturday and I frantically switched to BBC Radio 4 and I stupidly realized, oh my God, it's Saturday. I have to wait. It's, I'm sorry, that's what happens. If you're an Arcturus fan, it just, it gets into you and you just want to know. So seriously, this last week I have found really intriguing, a lot of lines. I think they're setting up a lot of storylines setting us up for the future, and I really appreciate that. I think it was really well written. So thank you. (laughs) Bye. The last few weeks have been absolutely fantastic. They have. And one event and all the ripples that then come from that one event, how it affects different people, how it affects the business, how it affects... The village, the wider family, everything. Also, one of the things which has been somewhat ominous... And ominous, I need to dial a word which isn't quite as portent as ominous. But we didn't hear Brian this week, did we? No, not at all. Mm. Not at all. He's lost the woman who's been by his side for almost 50 years, almost 50 years, that we haven't heard him this week. This is most definitely going to change Brian going forward. In whatever way, I don't know. No, exactly. I think for so many people, and as Darcy said, it's setting up lots of stories for the future between um, 
between all of them, all the characters mm. that we've heard this week, there's changes going on. I hope Elizabeth gets her act together. Nobody's talked about Elizabeth, have they? I don't understand that either, to be honest with you. Mm. Not that no one's called in about Elizabeth, but I'm sorry. If you fundamentally blackmailed a member of your family, I, I don't think I'd be with that partner. <laughs> or at least I would have said, you know what? You need to rescind that, that instrument of blackmail. Indeed. You need to do a whole lot better, Vince Casey. Yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, ju- anyway, whatever. No. Let's move on. We'll that, see that where that story no is going, I think. Yes, yes. Next is Marie. Hello, Royfield, Jacqueline and all Dumpty Dummers. I hope you're all well and had a good week. I really enjoyed the interaction this week between Alice and Rory. She has really stepped up and has taken on, obviously, the mothering role. And she's doing a very good job of it, too. And I really hope that Rory gets himself together, gets more confident and starts to live a proper life of someone of 20 years old. And I'm so glad that he's not with Julianne anymore. Not a very nice character indeed. Talking of not very nice characters, I don't like Stella very much. I find her really cold and wooden. Don't know what you thought. Didn't much like the way Paul was with Rory either. Obviously, Rory was very drunk and wasn't behaving appropriately, but Paul was very interested in him until he found out about Julianne. He was being a bit harsh, I thought. Anyway, it was also nice to have Ian back and backs doing his pizzas and being ever so sweet with Adam. Yeah, felt for Adam. For so long, I just didn't like the sound of his voice, but he's turned into a softer, nicer person. Now, a quick one I just wanted to ask, talking of pizzas, as with our scone thing, we, I just wanted to know what you all thought. Now, in my mind, there is no place for chicken and barbecue sauce on a pizza. What do you all think? I'd be really interested to hear your views on that. Anyway, lots of love. Bye for now. What's your go-to pizza, Mr. Brown? You know what? I'm old school. Pepperoni or some, or like an American hot. Give me some dead pig on a pizza. But I'm a traditionalist. Barbecue doesn't belong on a pizza. Chicken does not belong on a pizza. Pineapple does not belong on a pizza. The thing was invented in Italy, in Naples. So if they say these things do not belong on a pizza, far be it from me to say that the Neapolitans are wrong. There you go, Marie, you got your answer. What else did she have to say? I thought she was a bit harsh about Paul. Me too. I think Paul displayed very healthy boundaries, knowing that... Yeah, absolutely. uh, And he knows that not only was Rory inebriated, Mm. but also that he's still grieving. Yeah, he's in a bad place, old Rory. And he's just drunk a skinful... No way does no. I thought Paul was very good. I did. I love that bit though when there was Paul was talking to Alice and the taxi driver was pipped his horn. How rude! That <laughs> <laughs> was so funny. <laughs> he actually laughed out loud at that. But yeah, I could really imagine Paul saying that, and Paul displayed good friendship. But if you remember. He also said, if I'm going to get involved with you, I'm going to get involved with you in the right way. Yeah. That's the reason why he didn't want all of the, all this kind of ambiguity with JM that was ringing yeah. constantly on his phone. So this is somebody of quite high integrity. Yeah. He could have said, okay, you're half cut. I'll get my leg over. But he went, no. Yeah. And dare I say it, Rory is probably not 
at his most attra- been his most attractive <laughs> when he was half cut. No, well, yeah. I think he was more than half cut because he then went off to vomit, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So there we go. So now you have all got to join into Marie's conversation about pizzas, and I wouldn't have chicken and barbecue sauce either. But I think mm. she, she, you have to put that question on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page, Marie. Now we're going to Torquay via somewhere Gallic. It's a Natalie. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Natalie from Torquay. I felt compelled to call in after this episode of Thursday where Rory nearly, well, did go back to Julian. So um, the script writing was really clever because it was really clear that Julian really just wanted him to come in for that one thing, which was to the deal. But because Alice came in right at the crucial moment when Rory might have realised what Julian really meant, Alice distracted him and he basically understood what he wanted to understand. Julian achieved what she wanted to achieve and that was that. So then there was obviously a very good dramatic tool of doing it this way. So yeah, kudos to that. And if I get back into the actual sort of storyline, feel very sorry for Rory. But I kind of want him to get a massive bonus because that's like his last hurrah. And hopefully he won't be a sugar baby anymore because he will he will have her learned that it's not really a great, healthy, long-term solution to earn money. Hopefully that's that. And Alice has been really good in that regard. It's like an addiction when you go back to the person you fell in love with and they're not good for you. Anyway, that's all for me. Ta-ta. Ta-ta. So mm. what do you reckon to the meat and potatoes? What is meat and potatoes in French? La viande, la viande de la pomme de terre. But they wouldn't say that because they don't eat that. I had a very funny conversation on Friday with some ladies that I was teaching and they were saying, mm. one of them said she was invited to her neighbours, her English neighbours for a meal and they had everything was on the same plate. The meat, the vegetables, the dessert and everything. I said, I don't dessert? understand. Yeah, so I said, I don't understand. I said, what, what? did you eat? And she said, it was, so it was a roast pork. I said, oh, so they served apple sauce with it. She thought it was a compote, yeah. <laughs> she thought that was the dessert. I'll tell you what. In cultural confusions. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. But they don't do meat and potatoes. They don't do meat and two veg. I felt like Natalie was almost giving a bit of blame to Alice for coming in at the wrong moment then. But she just happened to get in from work in her own house, didn't she? With And Rory was trying to get out of the phone call with Julianne. No, I don't mm. think it's Alice's fault, really. Yeah. Also, we haven't talked about Alice actually turning up and telling Julianne, giving Julianne what for. And yeah, which and was, pulling Rory out of the yes, out of the melee. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah big sis coming coming to save little brother who she thought couldn't emotionally handle things, and she was correct. She, she was turned correct. up at just the right time. She did indeed. Yeah, and recognised that he was in deep doo doos. Hello, fellow Dumpty Dummers. It's Pip here from Thornton Heath. I just wanted to take a second to talk about Rory and his financial situation. Obviously, this relationship with Julianne seems to be coming from two different angles. One feels very much like this mummy issues that he has. That's like the psychological side. But the other side we're hearing a little bit more about in terms of his financial situation. He's mentioned this week that all the money from Brian is gone or it's not enough and that the student loan is gone. 
and I wanted to unpick that a little bit more. So I took the liberty of Googling what a student would in London would get as a maintenance loan this academic year. And it's about £12,500, which does sound like a lot. However, when you look at the cost of living for students at the moment, if you were sharing with three or four other people in a shared house in like zone four, then you'd still the average rent per room is somewhere in the region of about 750 to 850 pounds. Plus, then you've got all the bills, the shared bills, which are astronomical, obviously, at the moment. You've got your phone, traveling to and from university, your food bill. Even if you're shopping at budget shops, it's still got quite a cost there. So actually, I think the reality of 16, probably 1,700 pounds a month just to keep your roof over your head as a student in London is the average, really. So you can easily see how £12,000 wouldn't quite stretch. Now, yes, there is the argument that he could just get a part-time job like most people do when they're students. Absolutely. But I think there is a bit of an accountability here from Brian that he sent him away to boarding school with clearly quite affluent children. And I think there has been an expectation from Rory's education that he should expect more in life and not work a part-time job. So I think Brian needs to cough up a bit here. Gosh, I don't know if she speaks French, but she's good at maths. <laughs> oh, and most definitely accurate at looking at the cost of living for a student in yeah. London. Yeah, really. It shocks me. It really shocks me because I've got a student daughter who you support here and her rent on her flat that she lives in with her boyfriend when he's there, but he's working. They are working and studying at the same time. So they, but we've kept the flat on anyway. But do you know how much we pay for the flat for a month? In the centre of a city. What city? Morlaix, which is on the North Breton coast near Roscoff, okay. where the freight comes in. Utterly have no idea. 350 euros. And it's for a, for a flat. It's a first floor flat <gasps> with a large lounge dining room, kitchen, big bathroom where there's a washing machine and all the rest of it, and a study area and a big bedroom. I'm stunned when I see these prices in London. Mm, wow. There you go. What a comparison, eh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Pip, you're a genius. What a yeah. great call. But it's quite interesting, isn't it? This expectation that Rory may have about having money, but because of being brought up in, in one of the wealthier families in the village and going mm. to private school with obviously quite wealthy people around him so yeah very interesting there is a a certain level of entitlement but i'm i hate to say what i'm about to say but i can't understand why you would have that level of entitlement you've had a privileged education it's been paid for we've got to presume that it being paid for anyway interesting call though interesting yes well done well done keep it up i tell you what there's a job for us being the chancellor of the exchequer No politics, Royf. No politics. Go move on. All right. All right. All right. Let's move on to Ireland. And it's Jen, our last caller in her. All right. So now we've got Jen. She's our last caller in her. Greetings, everybody in Dumbie Dumland. This week we got our public information service broadcast about how to tell young children about death. So, yeah, they did it very well, of course. There was a couple of things I found pretty unbelievable about it. One is, as far as we can tell, and Xander's not actually on the BBC The Archer's website, he was born in 2019, so he's three turning four. Jenny was a primary caregiver, and it just seems 
quite bizarre that they had that they have this luxury of just waiting until they felt ready to tell him. You're telling me a bright three and a half, four year old hasn't noticed all the adults going bonkers around him, hasn't walked in on any messy scenes, hasn't overheard anything and hasn't asked any questions. Seemed a bit fortunate that they come with a pause button. The other thing I find strange is Ian, unfortunately, has lost his own mother. And Xander, we've discussed he's not terribly bright, but surely he would have noticed that he had two grandparents on one side and he only had one on the other. Nurseries and stuff are obsessed with family trees and identity and all of this. So I would have thought they'd have got their ducks in a row and had the conversation about what are we going to tell him happened, where is she, all of that in advance of this. If anyone is in the unfortunate position of having to discuss such things with a small child, there are some excellent books. My personal favourite is Babette Cole, Drop Dead, which is a really good, matter-of-fact, amazingly very funny book about death and a great way to talk to small children about it. Dealing with death, explaining death to little ones. Yeah, there is some confusion, as Jen said, that yeah, they had the luxury of waiting till they felt ready. But well, I suppose that's just a bit of poetical license, isn't it, in the archers? They had to get Ian back from somewhere, didn't they, so they could do it together. But I agree, using books to help young children and I love those I love Babette Cole books anyway but the one about death is as Jen said very funny really surprisingly fantastic I support that completely I'm turning into Philippa now aren't I you are which is not your role on this podcast you've got to be you embrace you Jacqueline I'll try All right, as opposed to Loic embracing you on Valentine's Day. Right now, it's email us. What we got? Right, we've got a message from Katrina, family bereavement and Rory's portrayal. Hi, Royfield, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers. It's Katrina, long-time listener, but voicemail shy Dumpty Dummer. I'm loving the way the writers are showing the variety of ways everyone is processing their grief of Jenny Darling. There's never a singular, singular way to process grief. I predict the family arguments and squabbles will continue and may cause long-lasting fractures. This happened to my family when my grandfather died. Now my mother doesn't speak to her sisters anymore. One thing I'm concerned about is how the writers will portray Rory as a bisexual young man navigating his life. This week we see him go back to London to be paid by Julianne as her escort. She tells him to leave because he was too flirtatious with another man, combined with his road to sex work and his conflict with Alice. Why must the writers write bisexual men as promiscuous due to some unresolved issues? I believe this is a toxic representation and it disappoints me. The Archers has always been a place where I can consider the writers can write good representation and highlight important issues in a well-researched way. I'm worried this storyline is going to perpetuate harmful assumptions of bisexual people as promiscuous and have unresolved trauma and are unfaithful. I hope the writers consider this going forward. Thank you for that, Katrina. I agree with with Katrina completely on this, and it does worry me the way that this bisexual character is being portrayed. I don't know, because I think we know there's a big backstory to, to Rory and him hankering after his mother or feeling like he didn't have a mother figure in his life, even though he had Jenny. Or a proper place in his life. A place exactly, that, and a proper place in a family. So it makes sense to me 
that he went back to went back to London to be with Julianne, he felt that he had a real relationship with this woman. And it's not by accident this woman is significantly older than him. And then they needed to somehow portray that he was drunk and slightly out of control and inappropriate. We only have one bisexual character in the show, at least out bisexual as far out in terms of us, the listeners knowing who knows what Stella is, who knows, right? But we know nothing about Stella. I just think that they've done a really good job painting him with warts and all, flaws and all, and he's deep wanting to feel like he connects. And I don't think that this is stereotypical. Yeah, maybe we're looking at it from a wrong, the wrong point of view. Maybe, yes, we're worry. I'm worrying that it's giving, it's going to perpetuate harmful assumptions about bisexual people. Maybe I, we're overthinking I, it, Katrina, you and I. But you know what? But thank you for the email. Yeah, there, brilliant. Katrina. Thank you. Now, right. let's hear what our Facebook posse have been talking about on the Dumpty Dum Facebook a page with our wonderful Stephen. Hello, you two. With the shockwaves that Jennifer's death sent through Ambridge beginning to settle down, discussion on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page has flown off in many different directions. The longest thread of the week was triggered by our own Philippa Hall. Finally, biscuits are back in Ambridge. Not a fan of Gary Baldy myself, but I'm just grateful for any biscuit-related script activity. Victoria Bourne sensed a conspiracy. I suspect they went for Gary Baldy as a controversial choice to get those of us who hang out on here enraged and posting. Pat Ralph Hanavan was having none of it. As a great Gary Baldy fan, I commend Justin on giving them a place of honour at last. Joanne Smith, Darcy Jogginson and Witherspoon had to resort to Google to find out what Gary Baldy biscuits were. I suspect it would have been less of a problem if Justin had called them by their proper name, Squashed Fly Biscuits. But we should move on from Biscuits to discuss some of the actual inhabitants of Ambridge. Where shall we start? God, Kate makes my teeth itch, said Natasha Stern. Kate Penfold was thinking along similar lines. A couple of weeks ago I felt that Kate was finally growing up, still self-absorbed and irritating, but nonetheless showing some maturity. Now I realise I was mistaken, I'm surprised Stella didn't throttle her. Jenny Ford looked at it slightly differently. I love the way she keeps inventing new ways to be so deeply self-absorbed and annoying. And Andrea Twells is all in for Kate, or, or maybe not quite all. I'm starting to warm to Stella. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that I love Kate. But I'm glad she's neither my relative nor friend. But I love to imagine at exactly what point Stella is rolling her eyes and mentally counting to ten. We couldn't avoid the other big story of the week. Jonah Titchmarsh captured what a lot of us have been thinking. There are elements of the story that are preposterous, such as Rory being the only person who could help Julianne get this deal, or whatever the hell it is, over the line. But it's good the way they ended it. Who is this businessman who was so impressed that she had a toy boy who happened to know the area? Lauren Downey saw things a little differently. That's just the thing, though. Of course Rory isn't the only person who could help her get that deal. She just used that excuse to make him feel valued again and agree to do it. Then, when he'd done what she wanted, she dropped him like a used teabag. Jennifer Bronda liked how Alice came to the rescue. Yay! Go Alice! Big sisters rule! And Suzanne Sharp felt the same. I love Alice in this current storyline. 
There are signs, though, we haven't quite seen the end of Julianne. Andy Mallander had a thought about one of the odder stories lines we've had recently. I wonder if Justin volunteered in the shop because a cash-strapped Hazel has approached Damara to discuss selling her remaining Ambridge properties. It was an interesting theory, but other dumpty dummers had alternatives to suggest. He wants to get hold of Ch- Susan's famous chilli recipe, suggested Michael Wheelock. He has a Garibaldi addiction, offered Maria Bray. He wanted to nick the pick and mix, said David Rowley. He wants to give back to the community, said Christopher Simon McKiddy. I don't think any of us believed that last one. Meanwhile, after one particular scene at Lower Loxley, Tina Cook-Westfall offered some useful clarification. Pointless prince, he said prince. Just in case some of you were wondering, or like me, thought you had heard something else. Elsewhere, Philippa Verica pointed out that Sally Wainwright, the woman behind the extraordinarily good Happy Valley, developed her skills writing for the archers. And Leo Horstmeyer added that she had written the scene when Clive Horobin raided the village shop, back when the Horobins were Horobins. Louise Lawton posted a link to an article from the Dis Mercury, where Brian Hewlett talked about his 50 years playing Neil Carter, and Fran Danilowicz gave us the chance to hear DJ Chris Evans singing the words of Love Me Tender to our favourite tune. But the biggest shock of the week came not from Ambridge, but from just outside the programme. Darcy Jorgensen was one of the Dumpty Dummers who spotted it. Wait, the opening continuity announcer mispronounced Jacob's name? And on that bombshell, I'll return you to the studio. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Stephen, for that excellent social media roundup. And thank you for everyone who's posted their thoughts under the Facebook group. Now, as Witherspoon says, we're on a roll. And this week, we have nine lovely new members. So let's wish a very warm Dumpty Dum welcome to... Sarah Bucks. Vega Sturgis. Terry Chase. Jackie McGinty. Lynn Chaloner. Martin Boardman. Sarah B. Amy Callow. And Ian Langley. Now, Royfield, do we have any five-star reviews, one-star reviews? We have one review... And it was funf points on the stars. Right, now here we go. I've only just started listening to The Archers. I got fed up with listening to the same 1980s music on the drive to work, so started on podcasts. A friend, big shout out to Mungo Bagging Jewels, had in the past recommended The Archers. And now I'm hooked. But it's so confusing. Who's Jacob? What terrible things have happened to Kirsty? Why is that farm woman so obsessed with a I need help decoding this and luckily Jacqueline and Royfield at Jump are helping me fill in the gaps. It's a great podcast and I look forward to Dum De Dum as much as I do The Archers itself. Five stars from Good Grief. H-J-S-H-V-D-B-C-U-H in Grand Britannia de Poix. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, so we'll have to go through that list. Ask questions on the Facebook page, Mr, Mrs, whoever you are, and then you'll get all those answers right, right from the people who really know, not from him and me who just Twitter on. Talking of mm. Twitter, you can find us at... Uh, was oh, a, can, yes. uh, what a link. What a link. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell I'm ready for bed now. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Twitter. You can find us at Dumpty Dum, where you can join in the tweet along fun by using the hashtag 
The Archers with a capital T and a capital A, which really helps the visually impaired to join in the fun. And I can be found on Twitter as at Jberto Sanguen. If we're talking Twitter, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Royfield, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best tweets. Twitter this week has been rather full of people being quite rude about Rory, Freddie, Kate and some speculation on whether we'll get Shula, Debbie or both back in time for the funeral. Not all of it's been good humoured. But here are my medals for Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Nick at Check Your Sheds. Oh, Rory, of course I remember you. You escorted Julianne when we dealt with her a couple of years back. I'm sure you'll be a perfect fit for us here at Coots. That's definitely going to happen. In silver, it's Jill Hodge at Hodge Jill. I had a strange conversation with Kate, said so many people so many times. And in gold, it's newcomer Sarah Hemming at Sarah Hem. Every time I listen to the archers, I remain amazed that Susan is not underneath someone's patio. That's it for this week. See you all on Twitter next time. Thank you, Purple Pumpkin. Don't forget, folks, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at Dumpty Dum. Please jump over onto Instagram and join the Katie Show and do follow us there. Thanks as ever to all our contributors and to our social media supremos, Shambridge for Her Voices, and to our podcasting godmother, Lucy B. Freeman. And don't forget, folks, tickets go on sale on Tuesday for the Academic Arches and um, Right Royal Knees Up in Birmingham on April 21st, 22nd and 23rd. 90 English pounds will get you into the whole kit and caboodle and that will even get you a, a meal on the Saturday night with everybody. 60 quid will get you everything else. It's a right royal bargain. That is fantastic. I'm really looking forward to Birmingham. Never, that's a phrase I never thought I'd say in my life. <laughs> Cheeky. Au <laughs> revoir, <laughs> oh, well, Mr. Brown. Au oh, revoir. Well, see you later. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.